Um, this, of course, is the last full day of the retreat. And uh, I'll just make a couple of announcements at the end of the sitting. The next unfolding of the instruction is the offering of loving kindness in a much bigger, more global, expansive way. And there are uh, a number of ways in which this is done. Uh, Traditionally, we offer loving kindness to different groups, which taken together will form the whole of life. And these groups, of course, are are somewhat arbitrary, but it's our, um, our way of bringing together uh, various elements of life. So um, one grouping uh, traditionally is um, all beings who are very happy, whose lives are basically mostly pleasant, those whose lives are a mixture of pleasure and pain, those whose lives are largely suffering. You know, so it's almost like you don't have to think, I mean, this isn't like social commentary, you know. Um, it's, it's more like poetry, actually. It, it's just a way of bringing together uh, ways that we tend to see the world. Um, friends of mine um, who are terrible insomniacs say that sometimes they lie in bed and they will do loving kindness for all beings who are awake which is not only themselves, but those beings at the other end of the world who are beginning their day or in the middle of their day, the people, the animals, all, all creatures, and all beings who are asleep, which does not include them, <laughs> but will include many others. Um, so it's, it's a way, it's meant to be kind of fun too. And of course, we tend to see preferences. Uh, so it's another exercise in seeing, well, what happens when, you know, another classical um, grouping is all enlightened beings, all unenlightened beings. So maybe we like enlightened beings a whole lot more than we like unenlightened beings. Or maybe we actually have a special place in our hearts for unenlightened beings, and those enlightened beings seem a little remote. Uh, nonetheless, we include both. So sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three. Um, but it's, it's just, uh, it's a time in the practice when you can feel creative and playful. Don't digress into like huge amounts of thinking, <laughs> you know, but just see if there's certain categories that come to your mind and be sure to see what happens as you include beyond that to make up all of life. Okay, so that's the first way in which we offer loving kindness um, in a bigger sense. And the second way is really just the, the global expanse of loving kindness. May all beings be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease, or whatever your phrases are. All beings, all living beings, all creatures, all individuals, all those in existence. This is probably reflected in the chat you know, um, sheet you know, that we've been using at night. All beings, all living beings. And of course, within the Buddhist um, cosmology, even if someone has died, uh, it's believed that they're living somewhere. You know, so all beings and all living beings are really the same thing. All creatures is really the same thing. Um, all individuals, all those in existence, 
when I was in Burma, I was given those five um, kind of uh, ways to do loving kindness for all beings, all living beings, all creatures, all individuals, all those in existence. And I spent some fair amount of time trying to see what the difference was <laughs> between them, and then I realized there was no difference. It, too, is like poetry. You know, It's just a way of continually expanding us, um, expanding our hearts, expanding our sense of, of inclusion. So you can use uh, just all beings, if you like. You can use more, um, you know, more like all beings, all living beings, all creatures, and see what happens with that. Uh, sometimes people feel really uncomfortable or it's more difficult without the a singular recipient, you know. Um, it's more diffuse, clearly. Other times, uh, other people might feel just wonderful. It's like, hey, great, you know. Um, this is, is really... Uh, in a way more meaningful than just the, the singular recipient. So again, it's like an experiment. Uh, you can begin, if you like, um, with the offering of loving kindness to yourself. Use the categories, um, friend, neutral person, whatever it might be, that you're moved to extend loving kindness to. At one point, I'll suggest uh, the offering of loving kindness to whatever categories come to mind for you, as long as you are sure to include either pairs of opposites or complementary sets. And then again, I'll suggest we move on to the extension of loving kindness to all beings everywhere. Okay? And that's how we'll finish the sitting.
And if there are various categories that come to mind where you can include either the opposite or um, several other categories perhaps so that together they form the whole of life, you can uh, spend a little bit of time with uh, one part of that totality and then another part and then another part.
and then all beings. May all beings be safe, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. All beings and all living beings, all creatures, all individuals, all those in existence.
So some years ago, I was um, teaching in Europe, and a woman came up to me and said, you know, I've had a really tough year, a very, very difficult year. And the one thought that really kept me going this year was the thought that somewhere in the world, someone was offering loving kindness to all beings, and I'm a being. (laughs) Therefore, someone was offering loving kindness to me. Um, So I always think of her when I uh, talk about loving kindness for all beings. I think, okay, what time is it in Europe? (laughs) May you be happy. Uh, And it was a very beautiful expression of something that we perhaps don't often think about, which is that this is true, that through their own personal dedication or their practice, uh, people of all traditions, all backgrounds are in some way wishing well for all of life and that we belong to that, that we can be receiving that uh, energy, that, that consciousness. And at the same time, of course, we can be generating it. You know, no one left out um, through the force of our own practice. And I did forget last night to talk about the near and far enemy and the proximate cause of equanimity, which I remembered the instant I rang the bell. Um, but fortunately, also someone wrote me a note <laughs> and reminded me. So just to finish that, um, the far enemy of equanimity, uh, you could say, is attachment and aversion. It's like reactivity, holding on and pushing away. The near enemy of equanimity is indifference. It's close, but it's not really at all the same when, when we look carefully. And the proximate cause, the nearest arising condition, you could say, is um, insight. Often because the classic equanimity phrase has to do with karma in the sense of, you know, we cannot take over someone's life, their choices, their decisions uh, will... Um, be determining of their happiness in many ways, you know, that we can't remake someone's life according to our wishes. The phrase uh, most classically uses the word karma because that's such a a complex notion and and would take so much discussion. Um, Very often, uh, if, if that's a difficult word for people, we don't, you know, we just say the phrase in our own way, whatever that might be. Um, So uh, classically, the proximate cause of equanimity has to do with insight into karma in the sense that we cannot take over someone's life and make their choices for them and determine their happiness. But I think we could leave it as insight, you know, just for the sake of the the model. Um, So today is the last uh, full day that we're here together. Uh, We really ask you to try to maintain the silence through... Uh, the morning lunch and, you know, uh, until we actually formally um, do some mindful speaking together. The afternoon schedule is a little different, um, so please look. There uh, are two uh, somewhat shorter sittings, and then um, we really need you to be in the hall when all the announcements are being made and the uh, kind of description of what to do. Um, to close the retreat. And following that, there'll be a period here in the hall of mindful speaking and then uh, a period of extremely mindful speaking on your parts. (laughs) Um, 
in, in less formal sense um, until tea time. At tea time, uh, the whole center goes back into silence, and we'll we'll maintain that through the evening uh, program, which is as usual, and then uh, through the morning until we actually close uh, in mid-morning tomorrow. Uh, in doing the practice of metta, generally speaking, in any one session, the the bookends, basically, the beginning of the sitting is often loving-kindness for ourselves. The end of the sitting is loving-kindness in like a big, more expansive way, all beings or all of life or whatever. And what we do in the middle can always change. You know, sometimes we are uh, really moved by gratitude in a particular way for someone or um, we're going to the post office and the clerk there is our neutral person or uh, we have a friend who's in trouble or we, you know, are having a conflict with somebody. So that middle part of the sitting, um, it would be a lot, you know, to... uh, do all the various categories in any one sitting, uh, perhaps. And so if you begin with yourself and you end with, like, really this global expanse of all beings, you can just see what you're moved to do in between, okay? Uh, we have time for uh, just a few questions, and then, then we'll... Uh, the last of the individual uh, meetings, by the way, the list is on the board, so so you should check that, yeah. Okay, so the the comment was about, um, uh, I'll paraphrase, the difficulty um, in offering loving kindness to those who seem to be perpetuating suffering and causing suffering for others, um, and how it brought up a lot of anger, you know, rather than, and it seemed kind of ludicrous to, to be wishing them well or wishing them mental happiness and so on. Well, you know, first of all, um, it's a lot to expect in 10 minutes, you know, (laughs) which is how long we did that part of the practice. (laughs) You know, uh, in a way, one undertakes a practice um, for the long haul, (laughs) you know, and really to see what happens. And part of what happens, I found, is an unfolding of a different kind of understanding. You know, um, somebody... uh, was doing research on loving-kindness meditation, and she called me, and she said she'd interviewed um, some number of people doing loving-kindness practice, and she said she was kind of struck by how every single one of them, unbidden, had said, 
that one of the insights they had had doing the practice was that all sort of negative, harmful action comes from a place of suffering. You know, and I thought that was kind of interesting, that um, uh, there's just a kind of shift. And then, you know, there's a, there's a big exploration one needs to make. Does compassion mean weakness? You know, does it mean giving in? Um, or can it be the foundation of maybe some very strong action, but without such a, a kind of clear-cut sense of them, you know, and the other? Um, you know, and it, it's a big reflection, too. Like, where has that gotten us? You know, except into a kind of cycle of just this sort of endless uh, polarization, you know, and hatred. And um, I think often of... Uh, Albert Einstein's quotation where he said something like, the significant problems that we face cannot be solved by the same level of thinking that created them. You know, the the significant problems that we face cannot be solved by the same level of thinking that created them. And so um, it takes a lot to keep exploring, you know, is there another way of thinking about all of this and to see how it leaves us, you know, because it leaves us weak and ineffectual and unable to seek change, you know, then it's not right. Uh, But I don't really believe loving kindness or compassion will do that. And so if you're willing to make the experiment to see what happens, you know, it uh, is kind of an interesting understanding about one's own actions, about the actions of others. Um, They say generosity, for example, uh, the best kind of generosity comes from a sense of inner abundance. You know, and and we kind of see that, you know, like most of us probably know people who don't have very much objectively, materially, but they have this sense of giving um, because there's some inner space that allows them to give. And so uh, you have to think, well, if, if one doesn't have that at all, uh, and one's actions are, are more and more distorted and kind of twisted, seeking happiness, uh, wouldn't it be better if someone had that, <laughs> you know? And maybe uh, they wouldn't be acting in the way that they were, you know? But that comes from experience and, and one's own insight into oneself. So, But I have a, I have a sitting group in Washington, D.C. I go once a month, um, a small sitting group, and needless to say... <laughs> Since you brought up political figures, <laughs> it's quite a lot <laughs> that comes up. Uh, and it's interesting, you know, just to uh, to see what one is inspired or not inspired to do, you know, in doing the practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the the comment was about um, 
the tendency or the possible tendency of one's thoughts kind of flying out in this greater expanse as we broaden the field and uh, there isn't a specific object or recipient of loving kindness and and at the same time sort of the balance being found uh, by a greater awareness of the body and, and kind of the internal process of, of what one is going through. And, um, I think that uh, is a very natural experience, you know, that there's a um, kind of a balance in that way. I, I don't know that you need to try to arrange it, you know, or um, uh, make it happen, but so much as just kind of see what happens. Uh, certainly as as there's kind of a more global expanse, there may be less of an image, less of a sense, although sometimes it, it works for people. Um, and I think there are many things that will arise that <clears throat> can be the, uh, the, the sense of anchoring, you know, in the present moment. Certainly the sensations in one's body, the feelings um, that may come up, and it's always useful to have a, a, a kind of a place for that, you know, in, in one's awareness. So that's part of the, the whole experience. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yes, the question was about, and particularly in life, um, wanting uh, perhaps to be less stressed or more relaxed than one is actually feeling in the moment, so it becomes sort of oppositional, you know, like, um, and how does one uh, kind of accept what one is actually feeling, you know, more than, than fighting it? Um, I think the first thing really, of course, is practice, you know, as, as you also pointed to in your comment, uh, because if we have something like a daily practice, which we'll talk about, you know, uh, later, um, tonight or tomorrow, um, then what happens is we become aware of what we're feeling much sooner. You know, so it hasn't been sort of an escalation of something uh, to a, a kind of pitch of intensity before we notice it. We can recognize it much sooner, and that's important. And then um, even to do something like mental noting, uh, gives us an instant feedback system because the relaxation, the peace, the desirelessness or the cessation of desire is not in what we're feeling. It's in how we're relating to what we're feeling. You know, so this incredibly agitated, difficult state can come up. And um, this is sort of hard to describe in words, but it's like our awareness of it is not it. 
you know, it's not overcome by the restlessness and agitation and the stress. So the awareness of it is uh, itself like our refuge, you know, and it's reflected in the mental note because if you hear yourself saying, anxious, <laughs> you know, that's a clue, right? <laughs> that it's not exactly a calm, warm-hearted acknowledgement like, oh, there's anxiety <laughs> going on right now. So you say it again, oh, anxious. And that immediately sort of gives you a handle on um, developing a different relationship to what's going on. So, Okay, we have to stop um, because we're going to begin the individual interviews. Uh, Mark is going to have to leave this afternoon, and so he's going to say something about that. So I'm going to be leaving this afternoon. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, uh, much as I've loved being here and, and being with you all, this wonderful team, uh, I have some prior commitments that I have to attend to, so I'll be leaving uh, at some point in the middle of the afternoon. So um, just want to say it's been delightful being here and uh, practicing with you and sharing. Uh, Sharing this beautiful, loving space and seeing how much you've, how much brightness and love there is in the, in the room. So, um, if you want to find out anything about my work, I mainly teach at Spirit Rock, and um, I do have a lot of wilderness retreats that you can find out about on my website, awakeinthewild.com, awakeinthewild.com, <clears throat> and that has my schedule and all the things that I get up to in the woods. <clears throat> which is really fun, and I'd love you to join me sometime. Um, and what else? That's it. I'll probably be back here next year. <laughs> probably. So. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I left, I've left some information out. You'll see tomorrow, whenever that's put out, some flyers about courses and trips I'm doing and Mexico and Peru and other delightful zones in the world. And um, I just want to wish you well, and I hope we meet again sometime on the Dharma Trail. So thank you. Now it's time for groups and some practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.